A recent federal court ruling against health plan Anthem Inc., which is fighting a consolidated class action lawsuit in the wake of its massive data breach affecting nearly 80 million individuals, spotlights some very complex questions that are at the center of many data breach cases. A federal judge just recently denied a motion by Anthem, which sought permission for the health plan to access plaintiffs' computers, smartphones, and tablets to image and copy them to determine whether a different data breach or embedded malware was responsible for any potential harm that could include identity theft and tax problems for the individuals. The judge ruled that it was ironic that Anthem's defense team was seeking discovery of the plaintiff's personal information when the core allegations of the plaintiff's case is that Anthem failed to protect them from damage to their personal information. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking to attorney Stephen Tepler of the law firm Abbott Law Group. Stephen will be discussing the recent developments in the Anthem case as well as some trends involving class action lawsuits related to data breaches. So now, Stephen, for starters, you've represented plaintiffs in some large data breach cases. What's the biggest hurdle in general for plaintiffs in these cases? The biggest hurdle that plaintiffs have is one of proving damages and courts have been leaning more conservatively in viewing their perception of what damages should be in light of both um, standing and injury and actual damages. We're kind of at the precipice at this point because we have courts that say if you just have repair damages, if you have consequential uh, damages that basically wind up having people monitor their credit reports, that may not qualify as damages and they require some real palpable damage or immediacy, imminence of damage, such as a debit card compromise, per se. And, you know, the difference here is you might have a credit card and a debit card being compromised at the same time through the same data breach, but the damage that was incurred as a result of money being taken out of your savings or your debit card account is considered more likely to be real damage than a credit card compromise, which basically is a correctable thing. It, it's a it's a usurpation of your credit, but not necessarily out-of-pocket damages because these are never really your damages. They're, it's an expectancy which pretty much is, is immediately correctable because it doesn't really, it's never really your debt per se and is correctable as a result of that. But these issues are converging because the damages universe is expanding from, in data breaches, and we can talk about that a little bit more as, as we go along with, with this podcast. Now, Stephen, in the Anthem case, Anthem's attorneys had requested to examine the computers of the plaintiffs to see if there was malware or other security issues that could have potentially been to blame for any potential ID theft or fraud. Now, even though the court rejected that request, how common is it in the defense of these lawsuits for companies to question the source of potential ID theft or fraud or other damages that might result potentially because of these breaches? It is becoming more common. And first, my 
perspective on this, and, you know, the disclosure is that I'm primarily a plaintiff's lawyer, is that, or a class rep's lawyer, is that um, this is an intimidation tactic. Because ultimately, ultimately, it is the case against the victimizer rather than the victimized, which is what the, the defendants in large part have started to look at. From the perspective of discovery, it becomes a little more complicated, and it becomes more complicated because of the number of data breaches that have occurred. And at this point, one of the arguments, however specious, I think, that that the defense might make is that there are so many data breaches out there that you don't know which data breach caused your damage, even if you did have damages. And so you can't point a finger at company A because company B also had a data breach and you were a customer of both company A and company B. I don't think that necessarily holds water. I think that computer forensics and cybersecurity forensics can easily resolve those issues, but it's something that we see being thrown up as obstacles towards towards plaintiffs in class action matters. So, Stephen, how significant is this ruling in this Anthem case that basically rejected the request to examine the plaintiff's computers? It's very important because it impinges on privacy issues. The idea of having a an image of a computer taken to discover whether or not at one point there might have been or there are uh, a security vulnerability that might have led to a compromise of the plaintiff's computers times a thousand is something that basically, number one, is an intimidation tactic. And number two, you can see, and I can envision easily where a defendant might say, well, you know, the plaintiff hadn't patched number X23456 from Microsoft within the period of time or hadn't patched his Acrobat. And because they hadn't patched any of these flaws, we, these known vulnerability exploits, we can't tell whether or not there was a, a different factor, a different reason or a different vector for the damage that plaintiff was alleged to to have suffered. Uh, you know, and, and all computers have vulnerabilities. I don't care how well protected you are. For instance, if you get, uh, if your enterprise is, is targeted for a denial of service attack, you get enough power behind that DDoS and you will have problems. So while it, it's a very facile argument, but it's a very, it, it's, it's an argument without much basis. So now, Stephen, do you think Anthem has a legitimate point that you never really do know where the root of an ID theft or, or tax fraud incident might have come from? So therefore, you know, you sort of plant doubt that, it, well, it's not our fault. It could have been anybody's fault. And how will the courts handle this when, indeed, there are so many data breach cases out there? Is it a matter of forensics, do you think? It certainly is a matter of forensics. But in the first instance, for Anthem to say, well, you can never tell where a breach happened or where a breach started is something that, in connection with which the hour of blame could fall squarely on their heads or point directly at them. Because Anthem certainly has obligations under HIPAA and, and other common law obligations to maintain the security, integrity, and accessibility of the data which it had um, warranted or covenanted that it was going to protect, and it didn't. You know, while plaintiffs have 
arguably a common sense, you know, a common sense obligation or a common sense need to keep their information private and information secure to the extent they can, you know, grandma and grandpa do their best. Grandma and grandpa are not anthem. And I think the the argument that, well, we don't know where this could have come from is a little, dis- in fact, I think it's a lot disingenuous. Now, Stephen, in some of the other data breach cases that we've seen, a lot of these cases end up getting dismissed. There's no evidence that, you know, a victim or someone that was affected by the data breach has been an actual victim of identity theft or fraud. But as we know, you, you never really know when this data will show up on either the black market or when potential fraud or ID theft could occur, maybe years after this case gets dismissed. Do you think the courts will start changing their view on being so quick to dismiss these cases with the understanding that maybe, you know, maybe fraud didn't happen yet, but it could? I'll prognosticate without, without providing any guarantees or warranties or, or, or covenants on this, but I think that as these data breaches proliferate, and by proliferate, I mean on a mass basis, on a mass scale, where you have not only Target or uh, Home Depot or TJ Maxx, but you have OPM, you have Office of Personal Management, where government employees, including much of the judiciary's information, was absconded with and is out there and potentially um, usable. And if it's usable, it may not be used, may not be timely for people who perpetrate the fraud to use it immediately. They may want to age their information. But certainly having information about court personnel, including names and addresses and their social security numbers and dependents, might well be a triggering act to saying, wait a minute, this is real, you know, and then you have, when you say, when you look at damages, and you say, what kind of damages can you have other than pecuniary or financial damages? Well, in the case of OPM, you have people who work who work in stealth mode, people who work for the intelligence agencies. You know, many of them have had their, their identities compromised. And if they're in a situation where all of a sudden their payroll information, which means all of their personally identifiable information or their health information, has been exposed, that puts them in grave danger. And it, it is, from law enforcement, both on the national as well as on the, on the state level, these kind of breaches really do cause damage and lasting damage. And if you look at children, children are a blank slate. If you can wait long enough or if you can find a way, and fraudsters have done this, to create digital doppelgangers where all of a sudden a child will wake up and, and once they turn 18, will find that they have a credit record as long as they're on and none of it's very pretty. And then they have to spend years fixing that. Security, information security, cybersecurity that's reasonably designed to prevent these sort of happenings, these sort of events, should be in place. It's not all that difficult. It costs a little bit of money. But certainly um, the cost to remediate at this point far, far exceeds what it would have cost to prevent. Now, Stephen, we've also been seeing a lot of ransomware attacks hitting the healthcare sector. Hospitals getting hit with ransomware, their systems get locked up. In some cases, sometimes uh, it's disrupted patient care in terms of being able to fulfill appointments and that sort of thing. 
Do you think eventually we will see class action suits related to these sorts of attacks? And what sorts of claims do you think plaintiffs might have? Ransomware is not only one of the most one of the latest or most recent cyber attacks that you can make, it is one of the most damaging. Because when ransomware hits an enterprise, which includes a health providing, health provision, a healthcare provider, it will not lock up their information. It will actually encrypt it, preventing anyone from accessing it without paying a the ransom fare. And, and you don't know whether or not that ransom is a recurring or a one-time ransom because what, what we're hearing of are, are polymorphic ransomware programs which will keep coming back and like any good blackmailer, will keep coming back to the till and asking for more. They'll re-encrypt and then, and then ask for more money. But the problem is that if, if you have a system that's, that's been totally encrypted, your patient data has been encrypted. It's not only your appointment data, it's your diagnostic, it's your lab results, it's whatever is in that system is locked up. And if it's locked up, number one, it causes a great physical threat to people who need help, who perhaps need a prescription refilled or need a prescription or have to visit a doctor or who, whose results just came in and who need to be notified but now can't be because there are no paper records. All there are are, are digital records. And then what about the access to the uh, access to the information? You have impairment of the information because you have no access. You have impairment to the integrity of the information as well because we don't know ultimately whether any of that information was otherwise tampered with. And because of this, you have a triple threat, and this, this is a classic HIPAA violation. And the regulatory authorities can find the, the enterprise for it. But from a class perspective, the damage issue becomes much, much more clear because you as a patient can't get the health care that you are guaranteed to have. You, because of the lack of security, the lack of the enforcement of policies and processes sufficient to prevent a, the, the kind of malware that can invade or be socially engineered into an enterprise. And I'll add one more thing about that. There was just a news release that there's an Adobe Flash problem where if you don't update it to the latest version of Flash, that it makes you particularly susceptible to ransomware. And many, 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 many PCs have Adobe Flash installed. So, you know, this is the gift, if you would call it that, the gift that keeps on giving. And finally, Stephen, are there any major data breach cases that are in sort of interesting stages right now that people are sort of waiting to see what happens that could be trend-setting or probably groundbreaking, perhaps? We're involved in the IRS breach. We're involved in the OPM breach. There are, I think that the what you need to be looking at for latest and greatest, what one needs to be looking at, are probably healthcare facilities that might have ransomware attacks made on them. I wouldn't be surprised if there were governmental entities that were hit with ransomware. I wouldn't be surprised if there were, um, well, both on both a state and national level, you know, ransomware, you're one click away from ransomware. The reason why you're finding ransomware proliferating against any kind of enterprise is that the fraudsters are going where the money is. And it's an easy hit for five, fifteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, and so I think that you're going to see 
ransomware hitting anywhere where there's a possibility of of financial gain, and that may include, you know, grandma and grandpa. We know of law firms that have been hit, major law firms that have been hit. It's no laughing matter, and unless enterprise really takes care of its housekeeping, its security housekeeping, they'll, what I usually say is, you know, you buy a house with 12 doors, but you only put locks on 11 and consider yourself secure. It doesn't work that way. Thanks, Stephen. I've been speaking to attorney Stephen Tepler. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-Begee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.